she was saying how she didn't used to talk about money. And I was asking her, well, why do you think that is? And she said, you know, I think the reason why is because I was bad with money. Yeah. And I think people who are bad with money, they don't talk about money. Yeah. Because there's a shame. There's this guilt around it. And and it made a lot of sense to me. I, I've always felt like I was okay with money. I've always felt confident with it. And so I've always felt okay talking about it. But I, I wonder if I had that shame and that guilt if I wouldn't talk about it. Let's make green together. Let's make green together. Let's make green together. Let's make green together. What's up guys? Welcome to Black and Brown Make Green. I'm Natasha. And I'm Damien. And it will be Financial Literacy Month in April, and we're just going to get a head start on it and start talking about things that you should know about your finances, things that we each think everyone should know about their finances. So I've got my own different things. Damien, you got your own different things. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? I'd like for you to start. Okay, so the first thing, and mine is a question that I think everyone should know about their finances is... How much do I spend, save, and invest each month? That's more than one thing. That's one question. Okay. But you should know them all. So So if I ask you that, Damien, I want you to think about our money, finances. Can you answer that question? How much do we spend, save, and invest each month? Yes. (laughs) That sounds like maybe. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I bet you could say how much do we invest each month automatically? Do you know that number? Yeah. Eleven fifty. Okay. See, you know. Yeah. You're good. Okay, so spend, save, and invest each month. So I got the invest right. Spend, that's a little tricky because I'm not the one spending a lot of the money. And we're not big spenders, right? So I don't know. Sometimes our, our credit card would say differently. Our checking account would say differently. You're right. right. (laughs) It depends on what's going on. I'm not I'm not claiming that not been big spenders thing anymore at this point. No, there's a lot of money that flows in and out. We've been trying to keep keep a handle on this and we've been trying to do it in a way that both of us can be cognizant and aware. But it's still difficult, right? We we've had a lot of hits this year, a lot of unexpected expenses, which People can expect to happen in their lives, too. So there's more money that is flowing out than expected because we had the ice storm and we had to pay for the trees to be fixed and we had a roof damage from the ice storm. So we have to pay for that. Our washing machine broke, so we had to get a new washing machine. Uh, So there's just been a lot of money that's flowing out that wouldn't necessarily be flowing out normally, but that's just how it is. So your turn, Damien. What's something you think that everyone should know about their finances? I'm going to hit you with something from out of right field because this is something that I don't really think about often, but it's important. How much insurance should you have? That's so good. Insurance is so important. And I think about that's similar to one of my questions because, and I'm going to go ahead and share this and then talk more about that question of insurance. One of mine is, What's my backup plan for job loss or longer term illness or injury? Yeah. Yeah, it's related. 
That's where the insurance comes in for me because if you get injured on your job, do you have insurance to cover you? Mm -hmm. Or not even injured on your job, but if you get injured and you're out of your job for a while, do you have disability insurance or some type of uh, insurance that will cover you during that time? Yeah, and this is, I mean, we cover things like, you know, your savings account and your safety net and all this, right? Insurance extends that. Like, it's an extended concept. It builds on that. And how do you make sure you have enough? How do you make sure you have enough? Yeah, you, you, that's a good question. How do you make sure you have enough insurance? There's car insurance, there's house insurance, there's life insurance, there's disability insurance. Yeah. There's so many different types of insurance. And, and I, I think that's a, a really valid question. It's a valid question. And it's a tough question to come to a conclusion of. I remember thinking about life insurance initially. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I needed it until I had kids, right? And then all of a sudden, I think I need this. I think whenever we were doing life insurance, it was a rule of thumb of 10 times your income. Something yeah, that, like that, that. Sounds, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And so at the time you were working full time, but then I wasn't working. So then there's a the question of, oh, well, do you get insurance on the stay at home parent? And the answer is yes, because even though the stay at home parent is not working, they are saving you money yeah. because they're staying home with the kids. And if the stay at home parent dies, then you're going to need to have some type of child care to take care of the kids and to pick up on all those other tasks that the stay-at-home parent took care of. And you also want to be able to take time off from work and have money to support you during that time. So that insurance on that stay-at-home parent is is important as well. So I think what we ended up doing was a million-dollar policy on you and a $500,000 policy on me. But it took a while to kind of determine it took a little bit of thought rather to determine how much insurance should we get. Yeah. I want to underscore that last question. If a stay at home parent dies, how do you calculate that? How do you factor that in? Because that's also a very important question. You don't want to confront that question ever, but you have to right? like your finances are hard and these Decisions that you're coming to a conclusion of, they're difficult. You don't want to be on the other end of that situation. And you end up having to deal with two things, right? Like the death, the death and the lack and, of finances and the lack of preparation. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's, you know, I don't want to do that. I just do not want to deal with that. So, like, I'll deal with it now. I'll think through the situations now and we'll cover our bases now. And I think back to my experience as a child and when I was five or six years old, I am not sure exactly how old I was. When I was five or six years old, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and she was given six months to live. That's hard. Six months to live. And thankfully, she survived by a miracle uh, treatments that she received. But I could only imagine how different my life would have been if she were not in my life. Yeah. And that's, that's like the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. And there, there are other instances where we know of friends and family where they've been on the opposite hand of that, right? Like where they didn't know. 
I was at the park just the other day. Sorry to interrupt you. I was at the park just the other day and I was talking to this other mom and she said, oh, something, something, something when his dad passed. And I was like, oh, well, what happened to his dad? And it's a first grader who's in the same class as Isaiah or in the same grade level as Isaiah. And the the dad had been killed by a drunk driver. And that's probably someone my age, right? Yeah, they're, they're our age. And it was an unexpected thing. And I don't know what their money situation is, but I could imagine if, if the insurance is not set up, it would just make it very hard. Because you're you're dealing with your grief, but then you're also having to deal with supporting the family now that half of, of your family is gone. Half of the support system is gone. Yeah. I mean, my, my brother was killed by a drunk driver. So it happens more often than you would hope. Mm-hmm. These things happen. So, okay, that's enough about the death and life insurance. There are other insurance as well. <laughs> Not just life insurance, but I, I am a huge proponent of looking into getting life insurance if you don't have it, looking at term life insurance, which is a, a, a cheaper option to be able to get a lot of coverage. And and I really think it's important, especially if you have a family. I know when we were getting life insurance, I said I was off of this topic, but <laughs> <laughs> you just I'm just thinking about like why we decided to get the amounts that we got. I remember we got 500,000 because one of the things I wanted to be able to do if I were the one who died was that for you would be able to pay off the house. So the insurance amount that I got or that we got on me would be enough to cover paying off the house. And then there would still be some extra where you could take off a year from work or two years from work, or you could hire someone and take care of the kids or whatever it is, whatever the case may be, there would have been a couple hundred thousand for you to be able to do that too. Let me pause and say thank you because it's not often that we acknowledge our partners, our partners, right, who are in this together. And I don't want to think about me dying, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want you to think about you dying. And here you are confronting it full on and still taking care of me. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a big deal. It is. Thank you for saying that. That's very sweet of you. Okay. So this just turned into an insurance episode <laughs> unintentionally. But I think that was important. So yours was how much insurance do you have? We talked about life insurance, but definitely examine the other ones as, as well. And the question that I posed was, what's my backup plan for a job loss or longer term illness or injury? So let me flip that back on you then and ask you the same question. What's your backup plan? For a job loss or longer term injury? Which which one? <laughs> I'm going to pick job loss. Let's let's go with job loss. So job loss is one of the easier ones, I would say. The first part of the backup plan is to have an emergency fund. And for us, it's a 12-month emergency fund is what we've been holding for the last couple of years. And I know that it's standard for you to, to hear a three to six-month emergency fund. But for us, it's 12 months because I am a stay-at-home parent. I most recently started working for myself, but there's not income that's coming in consistently to support our family. And so that 12 months is because 
if we had an unexpected job loss, we've got a good runway in order to support us through that job loss. Yeah. So the emergency fund is the first part of the backup plan. The second part of the backup plan is I am a certified teacher and they are always in need of teachers, especially right now. And even if it's not the beginning of the school year or before the beginning of the school year where they're hiring full-time positions, I can go and sign up to be a substitute teacher and I can work every single day as a substitute teacher to bring in money very quickly. And if I need to go back to work full time, I know that I could apply for a job and get one as a teacher. And that would be able to support our family to to be able to survive until you're able to get uh, another job secured if it came to that. Mm-hmm. So that's always been step two for me of my backup plan. I'm, I'm a teacher. I, I know I can get a job doing that. Yeah. And then when it comes to the. Well, you didn't ask me about illness or injury. Well, so let I me ask to. you about illness or injury. Okay, <laughs> Natasha, tell me about illness or injury. How would you respond to that? Illness or injury? I think you have like disability insurance and different insurance on you for that purpose. I do. And so I think it's just having that insurance and, you know, hope, hope, trying to, for me, illness or injury, trying to prevent any illnesses by taking care of my health. That's one thing I've really been committed to this year is moving my body and yeah. stop making the excuse of, oh, I don't have time. Oh, no, I need yeah. to go ahead and start working. I need to try to bring income in. No, I need to take care of my body. Not only are you taking care of your body, but you know how you throw the pebble in the, the water and the ripples just expand and expand and expand and expand. You've been expanding into my life. And pushing me to do the same with my life. Yeah, because I make you come along with me or I ask you and you come. So that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I I love this workout girl on YouTube called Grow With Joe. I love her workout channel. So I will do her workout videos. There is this couple, Juice and Toya, and I love their workout videos as well. So Damien will get in. You'll get in on those with me. We'll go for walks. I learned about how... One minute of brisk walking could reduce the risk of of obesity for a woman by like 5% for every one minute of brisk walking. Yeah. And I also learned that 20 minutes of brisk walking per day could reduce your chance for diabetes and obesity and high blood pressure and all of these issues that are common in my family and in the black community and in the brown community. And so I've been committed to at least doing my 20 minutes of brisk walking if I don't do anything else. So Natasha claims that she's a financial specialist, but really she's an optimization specialist. She does all these things, right? She gets me in the picture. She she drags me out and makes me start exercising. She does all this stuff. And I want to say thank you. You know, that's a great thing to do. You're so sweet, man. <laughs> I just, it's one of the best parts of my day is that we get to go on a walk together. It's like if we can't take 20 minutes to ourselves, what are we doing yeah. And I'm always resistant to this, right? Because I'm like, oh, I'm busy. You know, work, work got me down. Work's got me hamstrung and I, I'm i chained, you know, like I can't walk for 20. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes, right? Like 15 minutes. We're walking around the block. It's not far. Yeah. It's not long. It's not a dur- long duration. And we are in a nice position where we're both working from home. But even as a teacher, I 
remember as a teacher, when I first started working, I was staying at the school until way too late. And then that second year, I made a commitment. It was like at 4 p.m., I will be out of here. Out the door. I'm going yeah. to go home. I'm going to get home, cook dinner, go for a run, do some exercises. And so it's really just committing to it and, and just not making the excuse of I'm too tired. I don't have time. It's like, no, you have time. You have time to watch Netflix. You have time to watch YouTube in my case. Yeah. <laughs> That's my my vice of choice. And so it's really just committing the time. So what's my backup plan for illness or injury? Preventative is the big part. Preventative. Insurance is that other part. Yes. Preventative and insurance. Like how could you how, how could you go wrong? Yeah. You got your bases covered. But let me ask you this, Natasha. When you were staying at school way too late, like you said, how did you stop doing that? How did you come into balance? I think balance has always been something that I've been striving for and I've gotten it wrong a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times I have been imbalanced and I think being pushed to that brink of doing too much is really something that brings me back to reality and forces me to to, to get back into balance or to try to find that balance. Yeah. And to put things into perspective, I remember you going to school on the weekends, you know, for six hours on a Saturday, four hours on a Sunday. And that's in addition to every single school day that you'd work, you know, your regular school hours. Mm -hmm. And that's out of balance, right? Like that's, that's not the expectation. That shouldn't be the expectation. But it's so common across all fields, not just in education, in, in every field. People are, are tied to their jobs and their email and they're checking it on the weekends and they feel obligated. And I have really tried to push back against that idea of we need to be working and always on since back then when I was a teacher. Yeah. And, and it's hard. It's a hard thing to push back against in your own mind. <laughs> you know, not even just pushing back towards someone else speaking on it, mm -hmm. but even in my own mind, I've had to fight the idea of working more Yeah. so that I could live more in balance. You know, I wonder, so you mentioned this and I wonder how much of that can be attributed to you being a minority in the workplace? I do not know, but I feel like there's obviously this idea that minorities often feel like we have to work harder. Yeah. We have to show up as the best. Show up twice. We, yeah. We we have to go above and beyond. Even when other people are mediocre, we have to be doing something so amazing and, and still not be given our, our flowers for doing those things. And, and, but I don't know, I, I feel like it's part of the American culture as well. So it's twofold. Yeah. We, we get that first hit of the American cultures is one of working so much, but then we get the second one of we're minorities and we have to shine. Yeah. So we're doing double time, triple time, quadruple time mm -hmm. just to try to catch up. And oftentimes still not getting paid what other people are getting paid. That brings me to my next topic. And that's how do you become the best advocate for yourself in the workplace? Mm, that's a good one. That's a good one because I wouldn't have necessarily been thinking about that in relation to 
to three things everyone should know about their finances. But it plays a big part because how do you grow your finances if you can't gain more for the work that you're for, for the work that you're doing. It all comes back to that. It all goes down to that because in many cases, you have to be your best advocate. Yeah. You have to be that. You have to put yourself in a position to where others can take notice of you. Mm-hmm. And one of the the terms I've been hearing recently is Sponsorship. I don't know if you've ever heard that term of sponsorship. I think it was in a book you were reading. Uh, the Sex Robots and what's the name of that book you were just reading? Sex, Race and Robots. Yeah. In that book, she was talking about how she had a sponsor. It was her Ph.D., one of her teachers, her doctorate teachers, who sponsored her and advocated for her so that she had this opportunity. And I don't remember the exact opportunity from the book, but being your best advocate, part of it is creating relationships where someone will advocate for you. Yeah. Someone who's already in those rooms that you're not in can be your advocate. Mm -hmm. So how can you be your best advocate? I think it's, it's it's recognizing the people who can be your advocate. Does that make sense? It does because you have to you have to align yourself with other people, right? Like you have to recognize that other people hold these value systems and they can recognize when you will meet their expectations, when you can do the job that they expect that you can do and you know you can do it, right? And I'll give you an example. This past summer People who've been listening to the podcast know that I was exploring during financial planning. And uh, through that exploration, I decided to do financial coaching. I started reaching out to these different planners and coaches and learning from them. And for one of them, I loved what she was doing. She's been on the podcast, Maggie Clockingay. I love what she was doing. And I was like, hey, you got any room over there on your bus for another one to come join your team? And she was like, no, I don't have anything. But months later, she reached back out to me and she said, hey, I know someone who's looking for someone to to join their team. I think that it may be a good opportunity for you. And so I had her. Now she's advocating for me. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's really important to align yourself with people who understand you and understand your values, understand your work ethic and what you can do so that you don't just have to be the only advocate for yourself, but you have someone else who is doing that work for you, too. And props to Maggie Clockingay for doing all that she did, but also props to you for reaching out. You're just giving me all the love tonight, Damien. I love you. I love you, Tasha. <laughs> you are so sweet. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you, Damien. <laughs> but beyond love, I respect you. And my respect is because you do the things that you should do. And you know when you should do these things. And this is one of those things. You need to reach out. And you need to ask for help. I've, You know, we've talked about this at length. We've talked about it multiple times. And... It's to your benefit when you reach out to like-minded people and people that can help you. You ask for help. Like, it's no shame. I always thought there was a big shame to asking people for help. And that's dumb. That is just a big mistake. That's a character flaw that I understand and I recognize now that I made in my life. 
I didn't ask people for help, even when people could have helped me and people wanted to help me. Mm -hmm. There are people who are helpful out there. And I think back to Mr. Rogers and what his mom used to tell him and, and what he would say is look for the helpers. Look for Oh, man, that's so simple. So and it's simple, so true. But true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So your second question was, how do you advocate for yourself? I love that one. All right. My third and final one is, is your money being spent on what you value? What you value. What, what, what you value. <laughs> With a big underscore on value. Yeah. Because you need to create a system a value system and you need to understand yourself. You need to think critically about yourself. You need to talk to people and really reflect and understand what you value. Mm -hmm. And that is such a difficult concept. I think about our current financial situation and the things that I value and the things that I would cut out of our budget when we need to. And one of the things we recently dropped from our budget was having a house cleaner. Yeah. And one of the things that we kept in our budget was going on date nights. Mm -hmm. And I think I said to you, I will cut out anything else before I cut out the date nights. Whatever yeah. needs to be cut is going to be cut as long as we keep the date nights in there because that is something that I highly value. I know that it helps us to have a better relationship. It keeps us from going insane and allows us to to be adults and be ourselves and not just be parents. And so I I definitely lean into our values whenever there's times when we don't have enough money to spend on every single thing that we want. Yeah. It's nice and fun to be able to do that without kids screaming in your ear. All right, Damien, we have come to your final thing. Do you have a third idea to share with us of what is one other thing that people, everyone should know about their finances? For me personally, since I'm in a relationship with you, I think that the third thing should be how to work with somebody to accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish. Hmm. So the third thing for what everyone should know about their finances, this is really in, this really pertains to people who are in a relationship only, mm -hmm. not necessarily yeah. single people, is how do you work with your partner? You need to know how to work with your partner in order to achieve your goals together. Yes, because it's not an easy thing, right? It's, it's, you have to let go, right? Like you have to... You have to let the other person make decisions and you have to leverage their specialty and you have to lean into how they make their own specific decisions. And, and, and I think use you them. have to understand how to communicate effectively yes. with that person. I think you have to understand how what your processes are in order to communicate effectively around money. Exactly. Because money can be a very emotional thing. It can it can really cause some arguments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, don't I know it? So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think understanding when is the best time for y'all to talk about money. Yeah. So understanding is it better to talk about it when you're at home 
Is it better to talk about it when you two are alone? Some people are like, I, I need to talk about money when we're away from our home. So we need to have a money date over at this restaurant or we need to rent out a room somewhere and have a money date. So I think it's really understanding how can you come together to have those conversations to grow together and, and make those decisions. I think that's cool. So you mentioned the money date. How do we do things? We've always been very open when it comes to talking about money. I mean, even I grew up being very open with my my parents about money. So once I started dating you, it was the same thing. Even with my friends, I will bring it up all the time. Yeah, that's, so. that's true. It <laughs> is true. Sometimes it goes great. And sometimes it's like, oh, girl, you went a little too far today. Mm-hmm. But I for, for us, it, it's really... Whenever it's not a topic for us to where we need a certain time set aside in order to talk through it just because of the relationship we have. So we might talk about it when we go for a walk or we might talk about it when we're riding in the car. We might. I mean, we really could talk about money issues or things we need to resolve at any given time. Yeah. With the kids around, with the kids not around. We talk about it at all times because we feel comfortable talking about it together and talking about it around our kids, too, because we're also trying to expose them to different topics as well. And we bring our friends into the picture and family into the picture, too. Yeah, we definitely talk about it with friends and with family. I know this past weekend when we went to visit my dad and my sister, we were talking a lot about money with them. And with my honorary sister-in-law, we were talking about money with her. She was sharing about how she just bought a new house and all the different things with that. So, I mean, it, it for us... It's whenever. Yeah. But for other people, they may have to have more structure, but we have a very, very comfortable relationship around talking about money, which is not common for most people. Because when we're talking to my sister-in-law, she was mentioning, and I call her my sister-in-law. She's an honorary sister-in-law. She was never married to my brother. (laughs) But um, when we were talking to her, she was saying how she didn't used to talk about money. And I was asking her, well, why do you think that is? And she said, you know, I think the reason why is because I was bad with money. Yeah. And I think people who are bad with money, they don't talk about money. Yeah. Because there's a shame. There's this guilt around it. And and it made a lot of sense to me. I, I've always felt like I was OK with money. I've always felt confident with it. And so I've always felt OK talking about it. But I, I wonder if I had that shame and that guilt if I wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. And so I could see how other couples or it it doesn't even have to be couples. I know at the beginning you said this is for people who are in a relationship, but you can talk about money with friends, with family, with anybody. Yeah. And so it can be how can how can I grow myself in in the area of money with other people, not just with a spouse or a partner. But yeah, I, I think like I mentioned, for us, it can be at any time. With others, I can see how difficult it could be, though, if, if they don't feel confident. All right. So today we really wanted to talk about the things that we think are important for you to know when it comes to your finances. And we had some very different takes on things that people should know when it comes to money, which I really love because I feel like yours, Damien, were more philosophical, thought provoking, and mine were more of the 
the specific tactical, technical stuff. Yeah, which the is practical where, stuff. Where I tend to go. Yeah. Um, but I really liked that, and I, I loved this conversation that we had. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a friend. We love it when you share this with friends and, and let them know about this podcast. It helps us to grow, and, and our goal is to really to help people. Yeah, we really want people to to take our message and to to apply it to their lives in the way that best fits them. We're trying to help reverse this idea that black wealth and that brown wealth is trending down to a net worth of zero by 2050 and beyond. We are trying to reverse that trend so that we have a higher net worth, that we're into the positive and that we have more millionaires in the black and brown community because I was reading and I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent right now, No, go, go, go! <laughs> but I was reading, there's about 8% of Americans who of black people who are millionaires. There's about 8% of uh, Hispanic who are millionaires. And that number is very small compared to others. Yeah. And I want us to push that number up. I want people to join us having that millionaire status. And so that is why we are doing this podcast. We're sharing it. So please do share it, share it with a friend and keep joining us. Keep tuning in and let's make green together. Let's make green together. Let's make green together. Let's make green. Together.